Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passages come for today from Israel 56, uh, verse 1 through 8. Listen to what God is saying to you. The Lord says, Act justly and do what is righteous, because my salvation is coming soon, and my righteousness will be revealed. Happy is the only way who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not making it impure, and avoids doing any evil. Don't let the immigrants who has joined with the Lord said, The Lord will include me from the people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm just a tree. The Lord says to the eunuchs who keeps my Sabbath, choose what I desire and remain loyal to my covenant. In my temple, in courts, I will give them a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give to them an enduring name that won't be removed. The immigrants who have joined me, serving me and loving my name, becoming my servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath without making it impure. And those who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain and bring them joy in my house affair. I will accept their entirely burning offerings and sacrifices on my altar. My house will be known as a house of prayer for all peoples, says the Lord God, who gathers Israel's outcasts. I will, give, I will gather still others to those I have already gathered. May God add a blessing in hearing and living out of the scripture. Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we are grateful for the gift that it is to come together and worship you, to lean in a little bit more um, to what it is that your spirit would speak to us, um, whispering into our hearts and minds. Um, and so we ask that you would clear away the clutter of our hearts and our minds, help us to be present in this space and to listen uh, more deeply um, to what it is that you might have to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as uh, Kate mentioned a little earlier, um, this weekend, starting yesterday actually, leaders and representatives from around the world have gathered in St. Louis for a special general conference of the United Methodist Church, which is the denomination that we have membership with um, as a church. We talked about this a few weeks ago um, at our post-worship conversation, if you were here for that. Um, the gathering is a very special one um, that is specifically uh, dedicated to focusing on one issue at hand, which is what to do with the question of inclusion when it comes uh, for the, to those in church who identify as LGBTQIA+. The can that has been kicked down the road for about 30 years now, and this weekend through Tuesday, uh, the can will finally be contended with. There are four proposals that the conference will be considering, ranging from freedom that makes the most sense uh, for the local church uh, to a deeply restrictive policy that basically says, don't let the door hit you on the way out if you want to remain inclusive. And you can kind of follow all of this in the, uh, the hashtag that I've been seeing um, thrown around is GC2019. So if you kind of want to see what's going on with that, you can follow it there. Uh, not, I can't uh, guarantee that you'll always see things that that feel good for the spirit, but um, you'll be able to see all the, the breadth of voices, I think. Um, now here at UBC, we are concerned because 
of the pain and division that all of these conversations inflict, right? But we aren't concerned about ourselves. We have known from day one that who we are and where we stand will not be modified by a governing body that would have us believe that we have no right to exist as we are. We are, as we have always been, committed to creating a deeply faithful community that embraces and communicates God's bold, inclusive, and welcoming love for everyone, including those who would identify as LGBTQIA+. It is easy and understandable to get wrapped up in the drama of all of this, especially when it's being covered by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and all sorts of other local and national news outlets. And as I reflect on our passage um, for this morning, I was reminded that these tensions and these dynamics of insiders and outsiders, of those who feel so deeply committed to their interpretation of tradition, not to mention who often usually are the same people who enjoy the most power because of it, that these kinds of people have always made it hard for those who don't fit or aren't seen as holy or worthy or acceptable enough to belong. This is a very tired, very old song that we have just happened to find a new way to remix. Here we have the third prophet in the tradition of Isaiah. Did you know that Isaiah was written by at least three different authors? So a bit of trivia for you there. We have the third prophet here in Isaiah 56, not only calling for the inclusion of sexual minorities, eunuchs, um, and foreigners, uh, immigrants, not only saying that there is space for them, but in fact, they unequivocally belong. They belong to God's family. They belong in God's house. If they commit their lives to God and God's work in the world, they belong and they are affirmed for full participation in the life of God's people from the temple to the town square. And they're saying this, of course, because there's a whole host of folks, insiders of the faith, church leadership, elites, and power holders who have made it abundantly clear that this is, in fact, not the case. But the prophet is ready for them. They start out by kind of low-key calling these insiders out on their hypocrisy. The Lord says, act justly and do what is righteous because my salvation is coming soon and my righteousness will be revealed. And these words, justice and righteousness, they show up a lot throughout the Old Testament because they are kind of the twin hinges on which all of God's vision for wholeness of life for all hangs. And the minute the prophet brings it up, the elites get squirming because it's basically like the Bible version of pulling the wooden spoon out of the purse, if you know what I mean. And if you don't know what I mean, you should be glad. Because Tzedek Mishpat, which roughly translates to justice or righteousness and judgment, has always been and will ever be the lens of Isaiah. And just a little bit about this, uh, while Tzedek is about God's vision for God's people to pursue justice and righteousness in the world, God isn't just here for an inspiring vision, right? God is also calling folks to move on that vision, to enact that vision in the world. And if they don't, well wooden spoon, right? AKA mishpat. It is vision and accountability, word and deed. You can't talk a good game. You also need receipts, right? And the prophet knows the insiders do not have them. But as it turns out, there's a whole population that does have them, long receipts, like they've been shopping at CVS, right? <laughs> but they've been so gaslit, they don't even see it in themselves. They have lived so long as second-class citizens that they have perhaps assumed that there will never be a place for them, and they've kind of made their peace with that or just sort of accepted that. But the prophet has a different message for them. The prophet says, don't let the immigrant who has joined with the Lord say, the Lord will exclude me from the people. I will bring them a holy mount to, to my holy mountain, and I will bring them joy in my house of prayer. 
No one will be asking them for papers. No one will be taking their babies and telling them to go back to where they came from. As long as they commit themselves, they will fully belong. No doubts, no second guesses, no questions asked. The prophet goes on. Don't let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. In a culture where lineage is everything, God says, choose what I desire and remain loyal to my covenant, I will give them a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an enduring name that won't be removed. And all this sounds good and right and hopeful, right? The people on the outside standing confidently at the center, judged not on the basis of their immigration status or sexual identity, but on whether or how they contribute to God's activity and vision of wholeness of life for all. But that's all it is at this moment, hope. It's just a hope. The reality, even then, as the prophet is speaking this, the reality was that the people who held power, the people who decided, they were still at the center, and they still made the call on who was in and who was out. What the prophet is doing here is painting a picture of a world that could be, but is not yet. An upside-down world where the definitions of belonging are not bound by blood, but by deed where the bodies we find ourselves in and the status we are born into have nothing to do with whether we are loved or called by God. And this way of thinking, this kind of upside-down uh, thinking that looks at the world slant, as my Irish ancestors would put it, uh, this kind of thinking about God and God's activity in the world as something wholly other than what we know, it actually has a name, queer theology. Queer theology is exactly that. It's a theology, a way of talking about God that understands God's intentions and activity as a queer kind of force in the world, refusing dominant norms, counter to our central narratives, always oriented toward freedom from fear and exclusion, made complete in the liberation of all. Because if you think about it, God's vision for the world really does seem queer, right? From a lion laying down with a lamb, right? To blessed are the poor in spirit. That's queer, right? God does not make sense in the world that we have constructed. And so someone's popping champagne. That's great because that's true, right? Um, and so as I often say uh, at the communion table, God saw all the systems and structures that we had created, the walls that we had built, the multiplicity of ways that we had invented to preserve more for me and mine at the expense of you and yours. You've heard me say this before, right? God saw all this and said, let me show them how this queer vision of wholeness of life for all can look like for real, joining us on earth as a human. The queerest thing to do, right? Jesus walked the earth and just showed us how queer God could be from refusing offers of fame, fortune, and force in this world at his greatest point of depletion. That's very strange to refuse all of that, right? To communing with outcasts and political radicals and the wealthy elite and calling them all to gather around dinner, um, dinner tables uh, to share stories and understand one another more deeply. What kind of queer God would do such a thing? That is a very strange thing to do. And it's this kind of queer theology that would lead us to be the kind of church that we are. A church that not only stakes its claim on inclusion, beginning with LGBTQ plus identifying folks, but a church which takes that commitment to inclusion serious enough that it would lead us toward honest self-assessment about the ways that we are failing to live into that value. 
And we've done some things, an 18-month-long anti-racism audit, which gave us concrete areas and practices to address as a community. An organizational restructure that both empowered our community leaders and volunteers through a system of coaching and accountability, as well as giving clarity to how we operate as a church. And alongside all of these big projects, little efforts like strategizing on more effective ways to share about UVC through evangelism in our neighborhood, developing a care team and a prayer team, shifting to reusable coffee mugs. Did anyone notice that? Right? So all of these strange things that, uh, that uh, well, not strange things, but things that continue on this road to fully live into a little bit more who we say we want to be. And it would be easy to pat ourselves on the back, right? And we should. But that doesn't mean that we're done. The truth is, we have more queer work to do, more work of pulling people from the margins to the center, more work of noticing those among us who are overlooked, more work of helping our community truly be a place where there is room for us all. A couple of months ago, a colleague mentioned to me how children are the most consistently oppressed people groups in churches. Um, and I have to admit, I was a little like, what? Right? A little dubious about that. But not long after that, Lena and I had a conversation with some parents who observed that our community, while kid-friendly, is not all that kid-inclusive, which is why you'll see kids kind of involved a little bit more in worship, especially on the last Sunday of the month. We have more work to do. At the beginning of this sermon series, I was asked, why we were doing a sermon series on gender during Black History Month. And I explained how I make efforts to reflect on Black History Month during the communion, which if you, communion table, if you've been around, you've seen me do this, right? Um, this is kind of what we've been doing over the last few years. And this person pushed back in the best way possible, saying that, hey, black history is about more than lifting up the stories of individuals, but rather celebrating a history of resilience, courage, and creative responses of life in a death-dealing world. They even offered phenomenal examples of sermon series that we could do, right? So come back next February, see what we're doing, right? But it was a reminder, right? We have more work to do. And then just yesterday at our Ascend Leadership Conference, I sat in on an incredibly eye-opening presentation by UVCer Zoe Sheets, who goes to our Wicker Park location, on how we could be a more accessible faith community, using language like, please rise in body and spirit, rather than, or please rise in body or spirit, rather than just saying, please stand. And offering the option for folks to take communion at their seats is one less pain point, literally and figuratively, for those among us who might be physically challenged. Printing out worship guides that describe what's happening in service, so that way, it, or, or, uh, or copies, printing out copies of my sermons, sermons allow folks to follow along with the service in ways that don't depend on their ability to hear well. During discussion with some of our leaders who were there, I also learned that there is a huge group of folks here at Hyde Park Woodlawn who scurry out of the sanctuary during passing of the peace for a bathroom break and sort of like congregate as little islands in the middle of an ocean, not talking to each other and making eye contact, waiting until we're done with passing of the peace to return, right? And I kind of already knew this, but it's finally gotten through my thick skull that, hey, you know, this too, paying attention to this, can make our community feel less accessible to our more introverted folks, right? We have more work to do. It would be easier, way easier to say, hey, you know, this is 
too inconvenient, too complicated, right? It's easy, it's working for most of us, right? So why make a big deal about it? It would definitely be easier. But to do this, to give in to this mindset, well, it wouldn't be long before we found ourselves the target of the prophet's criticism. Being part of God's kingdom work is to build a queer kind of kingdom, a queer kind of community that goes slow when everyone says that it would be much more profitable to move quickly. A queer kind of people who listen to one another and learn from each other instead of digging in and staying in our own spot, right? Defending our position. A queer kind of place where we, we know, no matter how far that we've come, that we have more work to do. That, there, that this is not a, a source of frustration, but actually an opportunity for rejoicing because it means that we, like that queer man who wandered the earth so long ago, continue searching so that one sheep can find its way back to the community of the 99. We work toward this queer kingdom and we celebrate it because as we make room for our, the whole selves of others, we also learn and realize that there is room for our whole selves too. A house of prayer for all peoples, a gathering place for Israel's outcasts. This is God's beautiful, complicated, queer kingdom. Let's pray. God, we are grateful we are grateful that you call us to your work in spite of ourselves, in spite of maybe only being able to see through the lens that we have. And we ask that as we lean into your mandate and your invitation to be the kind of community that is always looking outward for how we can make our table a bigger and more accessible place, that we would not grow weary in our trying, but that we would be um, encouraged and invigorated at the ways that we can be um, a more hospitable place for those who have yet to experience your welcome. And so help us as we live into the fullness of our identities, however complicated and simple they might be at various times, help us to do the work of inviting others into doing the same so that as we encourage one another, we too might find ourselves filled with greater life, filled with greater possibility, so that we can go out into the world and do the same wherever we find ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.